Why do you think uh, Aussies have made such an impression on cafe culture here in France? Yeah, look, that's a, a that's a really good uh, question because there are quite a lot of Australians that you find in 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 the different specialty coffee shops that are popping up mainly in, in Paris. Enchanté. Bonjour, this is Fabulously Delicious, the podcast that's all about delicious French food and the people that love it, cook it, produce it, talk, write and photograph it. Paris, or I could even say France, has a not-so-nice reputation when it comes to coffee. So many people have come to Paris and tried to order a simple cappuccino, only to find what arrives is not the cappuccino that we know. Then there's the taste of the coffee at some places, often coming from a pod machine, out the back, if we're lucky. Why is it that a country naming one of the world's most renowned coffee drinkers, the Italians, cannot do coffee right? Well, our guest today is going to help us explore all things coffee in Paris and France and hopefully get us out of our France coffee rut and point us in the direction of the perfect Parisian flat white. Chris Fone, thank you for joining us on Fabulously Delicious today. Thank you, Andrew. Nice to be here and talk to you. Yeah, Chris, I'm really excited to be talking to you about coffee a little bit later on. But my first question is about something you mentioned uh, when we were ch- talking in the back channels there about being a young Aussie uh, on your first visit to France. You said that it was felt a bit like being Harry Potter walking down <laughs> Diagon Alley for the first time. What did you mean by that? Yeah, no, that's that's true. Well, that takes uh, me back to the first time I ever came to Europe, which was on a family holiday when I was only 12 years old. You know, I, I have lots of memories of that, but it was all in Europe and we started off in England and uh, and then my father brought us down to the continent and uh, we had a bit of time coming down to uh, Paris and the, the Loire Valley and then through Switzerland and Italy. And um and when I when I think about you know what I really remember from that time, it's um, there were just sort of some vague memories, I suppose. But uh, a lot of it was just a, a feeling, and for me, it was um, just really exotic. You know, it was really like being in a uh, well, you know, a, a foreign country that had this sort of uh, magic to it, and you know, the atmosphere of the streets, just the just the the, the side streets of where our little hotel was in uh, in, in in Paris. And uh, yeah, it just reminded me of that. Uh, you know, I thought, well, how can, how can I describe that uh, that feeling? And um, you know, it is sort of like that uh, that feeling you get when you're, um, you know, that 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 is conveyed in a, uh, books and films like Harry Potter, where you're you're actually walking down this uh, this street that's just different from in, anything that you've known uh, before. And uh, you know, you spend a bit of time just trying to figure out what it is about it that's uh, that's different and it creates that real um that, that that magical feeling it's when you talk to somebody who's born here and they're born in this little country town i think it was pascal that we spoke to recently in a few episodes where he talks about that he grew up in a town that had a 13th century um uh, chateau or castle yeah it's like we don't get that in australia at all do we <laughs> No, and I think that's, I mean, that's something that uh, I'm always aware of in France is that you can be almost anywhere and, um, and you know you're in France. It's so, uh, so characteristic and especially in the towns, especially in places like, uh, Paris and, uh, and Versailles, but also lots of other small, uh, small towns, you know, here. Any lot, so many thousands of different uh, small villages will uh, will have such old buildings and so much history to them, and so well they're just so different uh, than uh, than the sort of country towns that uh, that we know in Australia, and that's what makes it uh, pretty special. 
So you grew up in Australia, but you now live in France. Uh, what, or should I say, who brought you to France? <laughs> my wife brought me to France. So um, my uh, my wife is French. We met in Australia. She was in Australia for uh, for four years, um, working for the Alliance Française in uh, in Melbourne, and. Um, and when we got married, uh, we had to decide what we were going to do, where we were going to live. And um, and for me, you might think that you know she forced me to uh, to 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 come to her part of the world. But of course, uh, I already had a few sort of connections, and I'd spent a little bit of time in France uh, before then. And for me, I sort of jumped at the opportunity, I suppose. And so very soon after we got married, we um, we actually moved to to Paris and did our best to set things up here. And you made a leave for Australia, the sunny shores of Australia, <laughs> for the wine-drenched uh, countryside of France. That's You're a good lad. You're a good lad. I'm sure she's enjoying being back here. Well, yes, possibly. <laughs> back in Australia, Melbourne has such a, a great French food scene and a French community. Um, I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, things like Alliance Francaise is uh, definitely embraced in Australia. Were you a Francophile then? Yeah, well, I'd, um, you know, I'd had some time, some opportunities to spend some time in France and in Europe up until uh, up until then, you know. And, and I think after that trip when I was 12 years old, you know, even though I was so young, it sort of, uh, France and Europe became sort of a natural place for me to gravitate back to at, at some point in time. So I did some backpacking uh, I'd, uh, uh, around Europe. I'd, uh, I'd, uh, I'd had the opportunity to work a little bit in Belgium and in France before then. And at other times when I was working, I'd, I'd lived outside of Melbourne and I, and I also found myself gravitating towards the Alliance Francaise because it was a great way to go and meet people when you're in a town that you, you don't, where you don't know too many people. They've got a, you know, a great range of, you know, uh, national French social events that, uh, that sort of take you right through the, uh, the year. And I kept on learning French just as a bit of a hobby and so on. And then eventually I, uh, I sort of had the opportunity to, uh, to be on the board of the Alliance Francaise in Melbourne, which sounds very, uh, you know, high, high flying in a way, but it was, uh, it was really just a question of uh, going to uh, the committee meetings uh, once, once a month. That's how I actually met, uh, met my wife, Hélène. And uh, so, yeah, I'd had this sort of uh, connection that I'd maintained, you know, on and off uh, over the years. And that's probably one of the reasons why, for me, it was sort of a natural progression to say, okay, well, I'll take the opportunity to, uh, to go and live there, not realising it was going to be for the rest of my life. <laughs> you have a childhood memory. Uh, where did you used to go for your father's birthday every year? <laughs> was it every year? I think a French so. Restaurant? I think so. I think so. Well, it's another one of those sort of vague childhood memories. Definitely several years. You know, I think uh, in those days, you know, we didn't go out to restaurants. I mean, I was young. I had two brothers and a, I've got two brothers and a, and a sister. And a, as a family, we didn't go out to restaurants very often. But uh, I remember um, that every year on my father's birthday, he took us all off to uh, to the local sort of suburban French restaurant, which was called La Bouillabaisse at the time and um and yeah i do really remember that and what i remember was uh particularly the desserts because i think we must have always ordered the same dessert once we discovered it it was sort of a uh a, a version of uh crepe suzette 
And uh, the thing that was great about it was that uh, the the dessert chef, I suppose, actually came out to the table with his trolley full of all of the ingredients and the and the, and the gas cooker, and he'd actually prepare it, you know, before us uh, at the at the table. And uh, I just remember these. The reason I say I think it was an enhanced version of a crepe Suzette is because I remember strawberries simmering or sautéing away in this, you know, great sort of, you know, orange uh, 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 sweet uh, sweet uh, sauce uh, all sautéing away, and then he would flambe it in, uh, no doubt. Uh, I don't know if I knew at the time, but it would have been Grand Marnier, and uh, and and so it was a sort of a, a bit of a spectacle, and it just tasted fantastic you know and so it's sort of been like the reference for uh you know i think ever since i've always been searching for a crepe suzette that lives up to my uh my childhood memories of it what's your favorite thing do you think about french cuisine and being able to live here in france and experience french cuisine uh, locally I think probably um, my favourite thing would be that basically no matter where you go in France, you can eat well. And sometimes my feeling was in Australia, and this you know might be out of date now, but uh, is that if you want to eat well in Australia, you're better off probably being in the uh, in a big city and the inner city, and uh, you know that's where you find a lot of uh, great restaurants and so on. And you might want to pick and choose a little bit more uh, if you're out in, out in the country. Here it's almost the opposite. The opposite, you can, in France, you can you can uh, go just about anywhere and, uh, you know, in any little village, you know, you can find some great restaurants and right, sometimes right in the middle of the countryside. And also um, the other thing that's just incredible is that uh, in, a t- in tiny villages you can – invariably find great bakeries you know that just make these beautiful patisserie that that uh you know uh, uh, a really top quality and so i guess that's it you know you can you can you can find great food just about anywhere in france and the other thing that's really interesting and 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 it's sort of a pleasure of being on holidays is uh is there are always local specialties to uh, to try out in just about any region in in france and you've talked about some of those on your uh with your guests and uh and and that's just you know that's a real pleasure it's always part of the holidays to you know pick up whatever the local specialty might be, whether it's in a restaurant or at a local marketplace or in a bakery or uh, depending on depending on what they are. Yes. Well, I love introducing people to each other and having connections to do that and, uh, and finding new connections and new places, and that's part of the reason for the podcast. Uh, but I will say the main reason for the podcast is that I can eat a whole lot of regional food and get ideas <laughs> for more regional foods to eat. Um, it's a well, selfish yeah. one. No, that's not true. Um, well, but it, but it is a real pleasure of uh, you know of, of travelling around France. You know, it's part it of it. Adds something to you know every every trip or holiday. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like our first guest, Molly Wilkinson, mm. you actually live in the city of Versailles. What's <laughs> your favourite thing about living in the city of Versailles? Well, Versailles, obviously, very well known for the uh, for the chateau, world world famous for the for the chateau. Um, now, obviously, that's something that you know is mainly for tourists. But but at the same time, we uh, you know we're lucky that we we can actually benefit from that a lot uh, as well because there are these, these great gardens around the chateau and and they're free and you can go in them and you can ride a bike around them and walk around them and have a picnic there. Uh, there are events on at the chateau. Uh, there's an opera house at the chateau. You can see concerts there and all that sort of thing. Uh, so that 
uh, is it really is actually part of the day to day life of uh, of people that live here as well. But probably you know Versailles, it's it's, a, it's such a, a relatively old uh, city, uh, mainly developed uh, when after Louis the Fourteenth. Uh, had uh, had the chateau built, so we're talking sort of uh, most of the buildings around here are 18th century, and uh, and it's been extremely well preserved because uh, because it's of its historic value. So you know, on the one hand, it's very hard for anyone to change anything in Versailles, which might be frustrating, but on the other hand, it's it's retained its old charm and historical beauty. And uh, and that's really nice. Just to you know, if we walk out the door, we're in sort of a nice you know these nice old historic uh, streets that we're walking around, and uh, and and that's something that uh, you know I think just uh, is nice. It's just a nice part of your your day to day life um, uh, here. I think a lot of people don't really understand that, that you know, Versailles hasn't always been open to the public, and mm. that it was you know I. I um, just recently watched a fabulous document, um, not documentary series, uh, Holston on, uh, Netflix, where he actually was one of those American designers that came and did a show at Versailles. And that was all about raising money to restore yeah, yeah, the chateau yeah. and to get it to the stage that it is now that we all come and visit it. And it's one of the most visited places. But what other, what other things do people need to know about Versailles, um, to come and visit? If they're coming to France, should you be going to Versailles and staying there for a few days? Yeah, look, I think you could easily spend, uh, you know, two or three days here. Uh, the chateau itself, you know, um, there's the inside of the chateau to visit. There are all the gardens just behind where they're called the groves and the fountains, uh, which uh, are beautiful as well. Then you've got uh, Marie Antoinette's uh, hamlet. Uh, you've got other parts of the chateau itself. I mean, you could spend a day uh, easily uh, just going around the, the chateau and perhaps even more if you want to just, you know, then enjoy riding a bike around the the, the, uh, the gardens for an afternoon. But apart from that, um, you know, it's, yeah, it's got some really interesting historical um, uh, events that took place here at the time of the Revolution, for example. The centre of Versailles is in a, uh, a square uh, was a big intersection, but actually that's where the main marketplace is around that intersection. And so they've got Les Halles. Les Halles, uh, it's the halls and, and, and that's uh, like the permanent marketplace. And then there are a lot of temporary stands set up uh, uh, a few times a week. And so that's very, uh, you know, lots of people that go there. Lots, lots of locals will be doing their their weekly, uh, their regular shopping there. I'm just seeing your your, your dog there, who looks. Uh, yes, this is a Louis dog. Just come to visit us. Uh, <laughs> he's a year old. He's actually a year old. Uh, no, on Saturday, um, our year old golden retriever. So he's come to see what I'm doing up here on the third floor, um, where I record the podcast in my office in the attic. Um, and uh, he's obviously heard me talking and wanted to know who I was talking to, and so he's jumping up to have a look. But you go very, down a very, a very good uh, French name, Louis. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> You're listening to Fabulously Delicious, the podcast that's all about French food and the wonderful and fabulous people that make it. One of my favourite lines from a TV show I love is, "I sing the theme song, write the theme song, and play the theme song." Well. 
with Fabulous Delicious. I plan, edit, record, produce, and basically do everything at the moment for Fabulously Delicious, the podcast. But I'd love to get to the stage that I can get others to help. In order to do this, I need your help. For as little as the price of a cup of coffee every month, you can become a Patreon of Fabulously Delicious and Cooking Fabulously, my YouTube channel. With this support, I'll be able to hire, in the future, editors and producers that will be able to help me bring you even more fabulous content. Any help is appreciated, and in return, you will get more fabulousness from me. Exclusively, of course, on Patreon. My name's Andrew Pryor, and my motto in life is whatever you do, you should do it fabulously. Thanks for listening, and let's lay back and sip on a cup of coffee whilst we chat about coffee with Chris Phone. So... Chris, you actually have a coffee, a cafe in Versailles, is that right? Mm, yes, I do. What's it called and where is it exactly? It's called uh, The Stray Bean in English, mm. so pretty yes. identifiable as being a, uh, an Anglo-Saxon uh, establishment uh, at least. It's, um, it's in uh, the, the area of Versailles called Saint-Louis and mm. uh, we're probably about uh, seven seven minutes walk away from the chateau not too far away from the train station where people get off to uh, to go to the chateau so okay. we get a few a few tourists um yeah, yeah so but I do the locals up. come as well is that yeah, your look, main business would you say yeah yeah it is well especially yeah. at the moment okay. because uh there are there are a lot less tourism uh, there's a lot less tourism around at the moment so uh no we get we get a really good mix actually we get a lot of um probably mainly locals or regulars um which is a real uh pleasure uh to, you know to see people coming back uh, regularly uh the tourism is also really good because it's just fun having people from different parts of the world you know, popping in, uh, hearing lots of different languages and and all that sort of thing. How long have you been open there for? Uh, we opened in July 2017, so four years now. Why do you think Aussies have made such an impression on cafe culture here in France? Yeah, look, that's a, a, that's a really good uh, question because there are quite a lot of Australians that you find in in, in, in the different specialty coffee shops that are popping up mainly in, in Paris. Australians have really quite a significant presence in the, in the coffee shop uh, business here and the, and the coffee roasting business here. Uh, and it's great because it's one of, you know, when you come to a country like France, which has got such a, you know, rich tradition in gastronomy and cuisine and wine and cheese and everything, uh, it's great that I think that is something that we've been able to bring to France, which has added something to what they, what they've already had. On reputations, the French, well, they don't have a very good one in regards to coffee. Most of the coffee at a bistro isn't great and it's also very cheap. Why is this? What, do the French not like good coffee? Yeah, look, uh, honestly, it's a, uh, f- for me, it's a, uh, a bit of a mystery still about, about how it developed uh, like that. I think it's true. It's a generalisation, of course, but I think that's, there's a lot of truth to it that uh, uh, up until very recently, it's very hard to get uh, a good coffee, what we call a good coffee in France. Um, some people say that, uh, and when I used to ask about, you know, how, how come there are not any, there are not any coffee shops in, uh, in this, in, uh, in this country, uh, you know, how, why can't you get these, uh, you know, a great cappuccino anywhere? And the reply was sort of more or less, the general feeling was more or less that, um, you know, the French have already got everything that they want in, in, in a way and they don't need coffee shops because they've already got, you know, great 
everything else, you know, great bakeries, great, great, uh, great restaurants. And for the French, you know, the coffee was more just um, the, the coffee habits are, are different, uh, much more espressos being uh, being consumed you know the typical french habit is to is to perhaps stop off at your local brasserie on the way to work and perhaps you know sit down and uh, and have an espresso but that's like just you know uh, five minutes you know having a very quick espresso maybe at the bar of a brasserie uh, where it's where it's cheaper they don't charge you as much for standing at the, at the bar as they do if you want to sit down uh, so it's that really, you know, quick shot of coffee before, uh, before you go to work or after lunch, uh, as well. And I don't know, it's just, uh, not, not so much emphasis in, uh, on coffee on, on really the, the quality of it. In Australia, we all know what a flat white is. We all know what a cappuccino is. We all know what a latte is. And then we come to France and we will ask for any of those things, a flat white, a cappuccino and a latte. And often we'll get a bit of a, a glazed over response. Uh, it's usually there's two things on a coffee menu in a, in a place in, in um, France. And that will be a noisette and a cafe creme. So can you tell us what is a noisette, first of all? A noisette is sort of the French equivalent of a macchiato, which is one shot of espresso in an espresso cup, um, but uh, with uh, a bit of milk added, a bit more milk than uh, than just a, a dollop of foam, which is which you might get on a macchiato. It's sort of half coffee, half milk. And then a, a cafe creme. Cafe creme is a little bit supposed to be, well, it's a cafe au lait. In, in fact, those, those sort of uh, terms can vary depending on what, part of france you're in um but in general look honestly when people ask come in and ask for a cafe creme we give them uh, a, a cappuccino uh, because that's really that's really uh the closest thing to it uh, but the cafe creme is more uh, uh cafe au lait but without necessarily the nice creamy texture that uh, we like to deliver on a cappuccino now, I'm not sure if you've ever had this experience, but I have, and it's uh, on the cappuccino front. Um, I've ordered one uh, in the middle of Paris. As soon as I've ordered it, I've realised, you know, I shouldn't have done that. And what's come out is uh, some coffee. I think it's resembling a coffee. It'll be in a glass jar, a glass, not jar, a glass um a there, a glass. A glass, glass. Uh, so you can see it, and it'll have this weird froth on the top. Like, really quite strange. And I've seen this many times, and there'll be more froth often than coffee. Mm-hmm. What is this? It's not a cappuccino <laughs> to me. What what, well, what are they doing? It, it comes back to this mystery about, you know, how France can be uh, share a border with Italy uh, and yet uh, not have adopted or, you know, uh, you know the, the, the art of making cafe latte and cappuccino didn't really migrate uh, across the border. So it's a bit of a mystery. But, what, you know, essentially it's just not something they've ever placed much emphasis on. They've played, placed emphasis on everything else in terms of, uh, cuisine and wine and, and and everything, but uh, but coffee has just been a bit of the forgotten uh, cousin, I suppose. So what they're doing, what they're doing is just uh, uh, heating up the milk using a they'll use a normal espresso coffee machine. Um, but a great cappuccino, actually, um, you've got to be careful in the way that you heat up the milk so that you get a nice thick creamy texture, and then when you pour it properly into the cup, then the foam develops uh, on top. 
the the sort of cheats way, I suppose, of making a, a, a fake cappuccino is to just heat up the milk. Um, if there's some leftover milk that's already been heated up a few times in the jug, you might even reuse it, which means you'll you know it's a bit burnt and and you won't get the the thick texture. And uh, and but you can heat it up in a way where the where the froth sort of separates from the milk, and then you pour the milk into the cup, and then you scoop out the froth with a with a spoon, and you and you and you lay it on top. But it's uh, it's not the it's not the texture or the flavour that gives you a great cappuccino. And then of course they might you know just sprinkle chocolate uh, on a chocolate powder or cocoa powder on top to make it look. Uh, what we think is a cappuccino should look like. The Italians, you mentioned that before, they drink milk coffee in the morning and then espressos later in the day or without milk added later in the day. Do the French have a, a similar thing? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think uh, the most common thing, it's almost uh, it's almost uh, a rule uh, that uh, if you go out to lunch, as many people will do, you know, just at a little restaurant, even, you know, just during their lunch hour from work, uh, that most people will have an espresso after, after, uh, after lunch to the, and, uh, to the extent where, you know, if the, the waiters just say, oh, how many people want coffee? And people put up their hands and they just automatically bring out five espressos, you know, without even asking what sort. <laughs> So the, the the espresso after lunch is uh, almost a bit of a, an institution. Sort of makes sense as well because the the, um, the 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 French when they sit down and and have lunch, even if it's a very simple, you know, inexpensive restaurant, they're probably going to have they might have dessert, and so you don't really want a cappuccino on top of the dessert. So you know, a little espresso that finishes off the meal that that sort of makes a lot of sense. So that's that's probably the most common time to drink. Uh, coffee the other thing that they they do and this is more of a home uh, uh habit is the tradition i suppose in france is that they would drink coffee uh, a big long uh, uh black coffee in a in a in quite a big bowl over breakfast you know with their croissant or with their brioche or, or whatever and uh and that's a, a huge uh, a huge uh, black coffee that uh that they'll sort of brew up uh, using a french press maybe at home so on that, as Aussies, we grew up with. Uh, I'm sure, I'm sure you did it, but I didn't. I did it definitely. Uh, dunking our Tim Tams in our coffee, <laughs> biting off the ends and uh, dunking that in. Actually, I did a video on that when I was searching the best coffee in Paris, explaining to people that that's what we do in Australia. Do the French really dip their croissants in their coffee? Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, or their, or their tea, or their tea even. Now, there, are, there, are, there are a lot of great things you can learn from the French in terms of how to eat, but uh, I, I sort of agree that that's probably not very high up on my list, yeah. <laughs> Back to the stray bean, where do your beans come from? Where do your beans come from, Chris? <laughs> we we have two main roasters that we use. Uh, one of them is French and one of them is Belgian, uh, just because we like to work with a couple of different people. They're both great sort of craft roasters who do very good coffees. Uh, and where they and so they're the ones actually that will choose where the beans, the you know the the, the original country that the beans come from, and essentially they come from all around 
the world, um, and it depends a little bit on the season, uh, uh, different uh, different times of the years. Different times of the year, they use copies from different uh, countries. Most of them, the most common and what we serve mainly, they will be uh, Ethiopian, Kenyan, uh, South American, such as Colombia, Brazil, um, Hondu- uh, Central American as well, Guatemala, Honduras. Uh, but quite a few different countries, and we like to vary them uh, a bit to give you know customers a bit of a, a bit of a, a different experience uh, each time. Uh, but the roasters, the thing for me is the most important thing is to find roasters who really know their job, and they're the ones who will decide you know where the best beans are that they can get uh, uh, at a, at a certain time, and. Uh, we, we, we serve uh, two different coffees all the time, and one of them is a blend uh, that we use for a cappuccino. It's one that goes really well with milk. And so you've got to have a roaster that really knows how to blend uh, the beans as well. And so, for example, at the moment, our blend is uh, uh, it's uh, Peru and Ethiopian, but that's the roaster who's choosing coffees that mix well, that, that go well together and that give a profile that really goes well with, uh, with milk in a cappuccino or a cafe latte. Fabulous. I can't wait to come to Versailles and uh, go to a cooking class with Molly and then come and have a coffee <laughs> with yourself. It will be a, a great experience to have some good coffee in Paris and France. And uh, I'm sure many people will come to Versailles now and pop into the Stray Bean and have a coffee with you. Is there anything else? Do you do anything that's uh, truly Aussie at the cafe? Well, we don't sort of uh, brand our coffee brand our coffee shop uh, Australian, if you like. There is no sort of there is no sort of obvious. If you walk in there, you'll say, "Oh, yeah, yeah, this is an Australian coffee shop." Um, but uh, there's no crumpets, scones on the menu, or pikelets. No, well, we do we do um, things like carrot cake. Uh, we do banana bread. Uh, we do other sort of um, you know, we do cookies and uh, and things like that. You will often find in an Australian coffee shop. Um, but interestingly enough, for the carrot cake is a it's a, it's our bestseller. Uh, but that comes from a local uh, a local French uh, pastry shop. So um, so we're very, we're very happy we've been that we've been with them ever since we opened, and uh, and so uh, we're very it's uh, they can do a great carrot cake as well. <laughs> okay, well maybe you'll have to get my sausage rolls on your menu uh, one day. <laughs> we'll see what we can happy do. Happy to try. Happy to try. Chris, thank you so much for joining us on Fabulously Delicious today. It's been a pleasure talking to you and you've uh, certainly helped with uh, explaining a lot about the French and coffee and I'm really happy that uh, you're there in Versailles along with many Australians uh, bringing great coffee to France and uh, keep up the good work, that's all I can say. Pleasure, we intend to. Uh, Thank you, Chris, for joining us on Fabulously Delicious. Great to talk to you. Thank you. Well, Chris certainly did help explain at least some of the coffee habits of the French. Also, now I feel a bit more confident when I'm going to be ordering a noisette or a cafe creme. Thanks for that, Chris. And thank you for joining me on Fabulously Delicious today. Don't forget, if you like this episode, then please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Oh, and share the podcast around with your family and friends that might be into food, French food, or France, or you think they might just be into me. Please share me around. If you'd like to support Fabulously Delicious, then you can do so by buying me a croissant via the Buy Me A Coffee website. 
or become a Patreon on a monthly basis and get exclusive content just for you. Any help is appreciated so that I can bring more fabulous people to you on Fabulously Delicious. I'm Andrew Pryor and my motto in life is whatever you do, do it fabulously. So why not join me every week here on Fabulously Delicious, the podcast. Abiento and bon app. Hi, I'm Emma. And I'm Joe. And, and we're, we're the, the Professional, professional book, book Nerds. Nerds. Two Mondays a month, we interview authors and talk about their upcoming books, what drives them, and their go-to order at the cafe. On Thursdays, we share recommendations and dive into topics readers face, like how do I actually read the books on my to-be-read list? You can find the Professional Book Nerds podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Want to learn more about us? Our website is professionalbooknerds.com, and you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at ProBookNerds. We hope you'll come and listen, and as always, happy, happy reading! reading.